welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. It's been a little while, friends, but we're back. We've got some Matilda's games to talk about, and what better reason is there to do a pod than Matilda's games? So lots to talk about. We've had a whole bevy of squad changes after having a very same-looking squad, so plenty to talk about. Let's begin, first of all, um, by acknowledging the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people, and paying our respects to their elders past and present. For today, you have me, Marissa Lord-Danik, Angela Christian-Wilkes, and Sam Lewis. So, girlies, we have two games in this October window. We've got South Africa in London. It's a home, inverted commas, you can't see it, listeners, but I'm inverting some commas, um, game in London against South Africa. And then we travel over to Denmark because we simply love Scandinavia and playing Scandinavian teams. But we've got those two games. We had a squad. It was literally identical to the Canada squad. And this morning, we're recording on a Monday, this morning, a whole, I was going to say bevy and then say host, and I said neither a whole host of changes to the squad. So we obviously have to talk about them. We have lost Emily Van Egmond to a quad injury, uh, Tamika Yollop to an ankle injury, Claire Wheeler to a minor knee injury, and I appreciated that the Matildas website put minor, so those that are anxious among us didn't worry. And Kaya Simon, unfortunately, um, we don't know much about what's happened, but she was playing for Tottenham in the Conti Cup overnight and had to be stretched off. So we don't know the extent of what's happened there, but it doesn't sound good. And we're obviously hoping that she's okay and it's nothing too serious. But in their place, we welcome Remy Simpson, Emma Checker and Matilda McNamara. So Sam, the ins, the outs, thoughts, feelings, vibes. My, f- uh, that's my first reaction to this because <laughs> I just want consistency. I just want the same squad to start to play together more. It's just so frustrating. And I can't imagine how the staff at the Matildas are feeling right now because this is, it just seems like every single window that comes along, there's just another thing that goes wrong for them. There's another major player who you would expect to be in the starting 11 who's not there. And, you know, one of the really major factors when it comes to international football and success at international level is consistency of lineups. And we saw a really good example of that in the women's Euros, right? England won the Euros without changing their starting 11. They had consistency across the entire tournament and they got better throughout the entire tournament the longer that they played together. So we know that there is a direct correlation between those two things, not just in that example, but in so many other examples as well. And so the fact that we have not had a consistent squad in the Matildas for what seems like over a year, probably, I'd have to go and look at some of the stats, but I would hazard a very educated guess at 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 least over a year that it's just so exhausting and so frustrating because you, you, this is the, this is the moment, right? Like we are getting towards the pointy end of preparations. We've only got four to five international windows left. If we count this upcoming one, that's not a lot of time to get shit sorted. You know, like this is the, these are the moments, the pockets of time that you have to be able to refine the details and not having 
like key starting players like an Alana Kennedy or a Kaya Simon or a Tamika Yallop or an Emily Van Egmont around the squad, it just makes things so much harder. Like how do you even go about doing like planning stuff? How you can't sort of you can't enact the the kind of plan on a football field that you would want to enact when it comes to a major tournament because you're missing such key pieces. So, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to go about this. I hope that it means that Tony Gustafson is going to hand out a couple of, um, well, some more major minutes to perhaps some other fringe players who wouldn't otherwise get a major look in as a result of those senior players being in those spots. But ultimately, I, like, I just want to see consistency. You know, it's really frustrating. So that's my first thought. Angela, your first thoughts? Mm, bold of you to assume I have thoughts. Uh, <laughs> in saying all that, I I suppose, so it does, it definitely, I know you've said that, I think you said it in the chat, Marissa, like it feels like there's a curse, like something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, something is going on um in terms of the injuries and yes you can't help but feel a little bit nervous for me especially like Alana Kennedy not being present in this squad for a few international windows now it's like a little bit like like need your babes don't know what's happening but like take care rehab good I don't know like injuries are just a case of shit happens but at the same time I think like there's nothing in the universe stopping this sort of stuff happening close to a world cup as well. So I suppose having these kind of options explored early is one kind of positive. Um, But at this, I, I think when the squad was initially announced and we had the same names as last time, there was that, that pro to it that it's like okay cons- there is that consistency that a lot of us have been craving um but on the other side I think quite a few people were like ah well okay that's uh, yes okay this is coming to terms with what we're working with the defense being one thing that we don't have many defenders um and that's it's not it's not great but um I don't know where I was going with that no, it's just I'm just bringing up that we don't have many defenders and I'm sure everyone's sick of um, me mentioning that because, like, me bringing it up constantly isn't going to change it. But um, for me, it's kind of like that, like, for example, Emma Checker coming in as a defender, maybe that's something that should have been done a little bit earlier or someone like Matilda McNamara getting being on the fringes shouldn't be out of, like, these extenuating circumstances. Like, it should be something that should have been happening for a little while, even though I know like you could have your opinions on them as individual players and whether they're up to the level, but um, that does seem to be an area of the squad that's like in depth and I don't know how else you develop it other than just getting people in and amongst it. Um, but where was I going? Oh, the subs in, like the kind of, it, it definitely hasn't been a like for like um, swap for the players who've been injured and the ones that are coming in, which on the one hand is good in terms of like bringing in two um, centre-backs or players who can play centre-backs in Emma Checker and Matilda McNamara. Um, but, and that kind of could lead to some positives in terms of openings for players like Alex Chidiak or Remy Steamson, for example, being able to have like a bit of a stab at getting some more minutes or being around that environment. So uh, let's try and look at the silver lining. I don't know. 
Yes, it's going to be an interesting friendly in terms of what the response will be um, to this. But overall, yes, getting to the pointy end and the, these injuries are not not bringing a, a, any sense of comfort. But that's like, like injuries, like you can't control that. That's out of everyone's control. I feel like there is some sense of comfort in knowing that. It's like this isn't anyone's fault. It's just absolutely bad luck and a curse. As you say, Marissa. I forgot to mention that, yes, Alana Kedani is not available because she did something to her shoulder, underwent surgery and has done something to her shoulder. So obviously wishing her a speedy recovery as well. But it is my absolute genuine belief that we are cursed because how else can you explain it? How else can you explain? And I know I like to waffle on about it, but going back to, and I'm sure it maybe extends further, but at least in the Marissa Cinematic Universe, going back to... Laura Brock's injury before the 2019 World Cup. I'm just saying whatever happened at the pre-camp in Turkey, we need to, like, send John Saffron, do something, <laughs> reverse the curse. Um, and I'm glad, like, you mentioned the, the England, the Euro squad, because the more and more I look at it and compare it with Australia, I'm just like, that seems like a mirage in the desert. That's just straight up not real, having that level of consistency in a major tournament because don't know her not familiar with her work would love to experience it one day um but maybe won't um but yeah I suppose the other really pertinent point and you started on it Angela was just the non like for like replacements so when the initial squad came out my first thought was we've only named five defenders and one of them is, and I'm dying on this hill, defensive midfielder Ivy Lewick. So we have four defenders. And I was, I, I don't have words to explain the kind of feelings that I had upon reading that. So then all of a sudden we lose, technically, let's say four midfielders. Kai is more of a winger, but, you know, she can play in and around the space, um, all of a sudden we lose four midfielders and we bring in two centre-backs. So now all of a sudden we have six defenders, seven defenders, but only four midfielders. And it just it feels like I don't know the constraints, the considerations that are, you know, upon Tony and the staff when it comes to picking players, but it just feels like weird one step behind kind of situation where we've addressed the lack of defenders because of something else happening does that like, make it's, sense it's like whack-a-mole yeah where you feel like you've whacked the one problem and then the, 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 the mole pops up. up in the other area yeah. yeah it feels like that constantly absolutely it's it's just really bizarre so like I'm praying to every like being an entity and knocking on wood and all of that shit for our defenders <laughs> And our midfielders now, because I losing, you know, so many of them just it it absolutely sucks. But um, as you also mentioned, Angela, it does seem then like an opportunity for other players. And Alex Chidiak was a name that obviously got mentioned a lot because people wanted to see her against Canada. She didn't really get as much time as anyone would have wanted. Surely, just by like, you know, the numbers playing the odds here, she should get more time hopefully I don't know um and you would think similar things for Akira Cooney Cross I was 
thinking about the uh, VUC championship winning midfield of Kara Cross and Alex Chidiak. I would love to see it in green and gold. Um, but yeah. That's a great point. That's actually a really good point. And like one of the, I think this is one of actually the silver linings when we want to talk about the squad that we do have, particularly in light of the way that we came out the back of the Canada games. Because I think I went quite hard on this. I'm not sure how you all felt, but I thought that Emily Van Egmond was the weak link of that midfield and the, 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 the problem that needs to be addressed most. And so her absence is potentially just the a perfect opportunity to do that. So we can throw in an Alex Chidiak. We can throw in uh, a Kyra Cooney cross. We can see what an alternative box-to-box midfielder could look like if we keep the two pinpoints of Mary Fowler and Katrina Gorey at either end of that triangle. So that new dynamic could be really interesting. And it'll be good coming up against a team like South Africa to test that because let's be honest, they're not going to be as difficult as Denmark um, and they're going to pose a different kind of challenge on the ball. So having creative midfielders who are technically very gifted, who can run a lot, and who are very good linking up with others around them in a Chidiac or a Kyra, I think could be really beneficial. Um, so may, that's one of maybe the very few silver linings of this whole debacle. Um, but I also like, I, I'm, I'm just excited to see the both of them because they're both still so young and we've seen what they can do across various levels. They're both playing consistently at their clubs. And yeah, this could be a, a great moment for the, the two of them to sort of put their names up in lights and be like, actually, I'm, I can be the alternative for this midfield and I can potentially make it work better than what it's been working previously. There was one name that I don't know if you guys saw this as well in your Twitter feeds, but there was one name that popped up a lot when these new players were announced earlier this morning. And basically every kind of tweet centred around Jacinta Gullibarachichi and was basically like, what more does she have to do to get into this squad? She scored overnight I can't remember if it was one or two, but she scored overnight for Celtic women. Do you two have any thoughts on Jacinta's omission? I mean, surely it's such a late... I, I don't know how I feel more broadly about her not being in and around the Matildas, but I think that's at this late hour, she hasn't been in and around the Matildas. So bringing her into this squad six days out from a game doesn't really seem particularly logical to me, but that doesn't. that's not an answer to the question of whether she's deserving to be in and around the squad, which I think is a slightly different thing. I think this was a hit the emergency button. Who do we have? Who can we bring in? Who's not going to have to fly halfway across the world and adjust to a different time zone the week of a friendly? That I'm sure that must have been a consideration as well. So that's kind of how I see it. I mean, and she basically Sorry. she hasn't she hasn't been in and around the squad enough, I think, for her to be a safe bet to bring into this um, squad. I don't know, but on the other side of that, if if you're bringing in, if no, nah, that's that's how I feel about it. It's it just maybe at a later stage, and it is a good question to be asking if she's because she has been in form and she has been scoring why. She hasn't really been in conversations, but I don't think this particular side conversation is the one. Anyway, Sam, I don't know how you feel about it, but yeah. Yeah, I feel like we talked about this um, a couple of months ago when it came to Jacinta, maybe when she was called up for a previous window. 
Um, uh, the important thing to note with her, I think, is the context in which she's playing. Like, yeah, she's performing well for Celtic and she's scoring well for Celtic, but the Scottish Women's League is not really comparable to most of the leagues that most of the Matildas are currently playing in. Um, it's probably more equivalent to maybe in between the NPL and A-League women's in terms of its standard, as opposed to being A-League women's and above, which is what most of the Matildas are playing in. So in that context, um, I think it's important to assess her performances, but also, yeah, in a Matildas context as well, because yeah, she has only been called into camp once. She, I don't think got many, if any minutes in that window either. And it's, pretty well known that a lot of the players almost I think 70 or 80 players who have been called into various camps under Tony over the past 18 months the majority of them have got into that space and have just not been able to keep up with the speed whether it's the speed physically whether it's the speed of moving the ball whether it's the speed of decision making the leap is just too far so maybe behind the scenes, she hasn't been able to impress in that sense in that like she just cannot keep up with what's required. Whereas a couple of other players like an Emma Checker, like a Remy Seamson, like an Alex Chidiak, they have been able to make that jump a little bit more easily perhaps than what Jacinta has. But this is all speculation. This is us just like assessing things from the outside and trying to look at different angles and try and understand the potential decision-making of the people, you know, doing this sort of stuff. So like, yeah, it'd be great to see her, but at the same time, this is a moment where we're preparing for a World Cup and it's, you know, a lot of people are already, I think, settled on the fact that the time for experimentation is over. You know, yes, there are going to be injuries and whatever, and in this circumstance you need to draw upon whoever is available, particularly defensively, but we're in the last stages of preparing for a World Cup. This is where we need to be knuckling down and figuring out the players who we're actually going to be taking. And maybe behind the scenes, they're just not convinced that she's the one. Players in Jacinta's age bracket, like they don't have to be going to the World Cup to have necessarily, that's not the be all and end all. There there will be international women's football after 2023. And that's really exciting. (laughs) Really? No way. So, but less sarcastically, we should remember that. Sorry to interrupt, but like (laughs) for real, for real, we should remember Um, that. Yeah. So I think it's, I understand, like, actually, of course, I don't understand because I'm not playing at a high level, but um, as a player, you would absolutely want to play at a home World Cup. But um, for the the young ones, there's still so much of their career in front of them that, yeah, there's so much more that she's got left to prove as well. So I don't know. I, I get it, but um, I don't know. I've, I don't really have the confidence ever to be like, this player should be in a squad. I, so I admire those who do. Good for them. It's good to have takes. It's good to have takes. There's this um, pod title basically sewn up. Um <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about our opponents because obviously this game against South Africa is a pretty big deal. It's a historic deal. Australia's never actually played an African nation not in a World Cup or an Olympic, so it's our first ever friendly against an African nation and it is against the newly crowned Women's African Cup of Nations champions, South Africa. What are we kind of expecting from them? I know you said 
respectfully that we should beat them, Sam. And all I could think about was when you said, oh, we should beat South Korea in the quarterfinal at the Asian Cup. Marissa, why would you bring that up? (laughs) You said it and it lives in my brain. I'm sorry. It does. But how do we feel about South Africa? What are we expecting from them? How are we expecting the Matildas to actually play against them? I think it's just interesting in this window we've got South Africa and then we have Denmark and I feel like they're teams with like quite different things to prove. Um, I mean, coming in off winning their first um, Africa Cup of Nations, I feel like the confidence is going to be high for a team um, that has been performing. Um, And so I guess whereas Denmark underperformed at the Euros and are... They've been doing well in like, so for example, like world, like world cup qualifiers, but they haven't been playing um, particularly high level opposition. So they might be looking to like beat us up a bit, to be honest. Um, So I think with both of these games, we need to approach it with caution because I think that they're, yeah, I, I feel like maybe that's also just the, reactive like Tilly's fan coming out in me like nothing is a given and you just want to make sure that yeah you're not taking anything for granted um but they're both yeah should be interesting it should be interesting I don't know that's not particularly helpful I'm really excited for the South Africa game because I love watching like I've loved watching them in the past but to be fair quite a different squad to like when I was last paying relatively close attention. So we'll see. We'll see. That helps you not at all, Marissa. Sorry. No, it does. And I was going to mention the fact that I'm pretty sure when we were in Lille, you were like, come to the pub and you were watching South Africa and you were very excited about it, but I think they lost. Sorry. Sorry to put the damn yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I went and saw them, um, get, like I made a special trip to like back to Montpellier to see Germany just like thrash them. But I was like, yay, happy to be here. Because the, the the story of um, women's football in South Africa is just really interesting to me. And I think that, yeah, very kind of resilient history there. But um, yes, Sam? Sorry, finger point. <laughs> Putting up my hand like a good student. Um. I'm actually really curious about this South Africa team. I'll admit that I haven't watched very much of them outside of sort of clips from the African Cup of Nations and Women's World Cups, but they do seem to be going through a bit of a transition at the moment. Janine Van Vyck, who's been their captain for such a long time, has retired. She was their most experienced player. She was the player who's played at the highest levels. Without her there, I think the the armband moves to maybe Refalo Jane, who used to play in the dub. She played for Canberra. Um, who is a fantastic midfielder, really, really talented, one of the only South African players currently playing in Europe, I believe as well. I think she's in Spain or in Italy. Um, And they're bringing through seemingly like a a sort of a new age bracket now of sort of 19 to 22-year-olds, particularly in midfield and in defence. So I'd be, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what this sort of new style I suppose of football is looking like with this refreshed South African team I think one of the interesting 
modes of comparison across all three of the teams, so us, South Africa and Denmark, is um, how many of the players are playing consistent minutes at the top levels in the top leagues. So this is something that Tony talks about quite a lot, right? Like you want to be playing the best football possible in the best teams and the best competitions. And when you look across, there was some really, there's some interesting data at Football Australia about this. When you look across the many national teams in the sort of top 10 to 15 in the FIFA rankings, you find that the most successful teams in tournament football are those which have the most number of players playing in the best clubs in the best leagues. So England, for example, had most of the most of the players playing in the top three to four clubs in England. In the, the Spanish national team, they had most of the best players playing for Barcelona or Atletico in Spain. France, PSG or Lyon. Germany, Wolfsburg or Bayern. So you have these sort of pockets of national team players all playing regularly at the best clubs. Whereas when you start to go further down the FIFA rankings, that number starts to dissipate a little bit. So the Matildas are sort of in that sort of second tier where we've got probably about half maybe of the starting sort of 23-player squad playing consistently at the best clubs in the best leagues. We're probably more aligned with a nation like Denmark when it comes to that particular point of comparison where they do have a handful of players, you know, like a Pernilla Harder, for example, playing in the best league, best, best club in the best league, but it's not everybody. And so that seems to, that's sort of reflected in um, the way that they perform in tournaments and in national team football more generally. So in that sense, you know, when we, when you look through the South Africa squad as well, most of their players play in South Africa. I don't know what the hierarchy is in terms of the best teams in South Africa or the best clubs in South Africa, but it seems to be a pretty decent spread across a couple of different ones. You've got a couple of players who play in Europe, but again, they're not really the best clubs. So in that sense, if that's a measurement of how they're going to perform, you would expect that a team like the Matildas who have more players who are more experienced playing more minutes and better competitions are probably um, favoured to take out a game against a team that doesn't have those particular players, right? Which is, yeah, why I think both of, both of these games are going to be interesting because if it doesn't turn out that way, then what does that say about, number one, that mode of measurement and, number two, the kind of football that's actually going to be on display and whether it's going to get results. Um, yeah. So that's just sort of, that's just something I've been thinking about recently as well in terms of how we can predict or have sort of informed perspectives on how we think teams should perform. Because ultimately, like when it comes to a lot of the critical conversations around the Matildas, like a lot of the language, I always find the word should And should is a very tricky term because should is layered with not just evidence, but also expectations and beliefs and vibes. Like it's not really a scientific way of being able to construct an expectation. And so, yeah, so I'm I'm very curious about how people base their opinions on these kinds of moments, you know, they should be better than what they are. Well, how do you measure that should, you know, anyway, that was a ramble, but anyway, I'm, I'm just, I'm very excited about both of these games. And also, cause I just want to see more Matildas because I love this team. I love watching football. That's it. It was a fun detour. I enjoyed the detour. Um, 
Yeah, I suppose the, the best thing about these two games, and if you zoom out a little bit and look at both the September window and ahead to the November one as well, we've played CONCACAF opponents, we will play UEFA opponents, we'll obviously play a CAF opponent and then another Asian team as well. So Tony has long said that he wants to not just play high-ranked teams and I think he's well and truly fulfilled that brief now, but different styles of teams, different kinds of teams, he wanted to kind of tick off every confederation and with this game against South Africa, it kind of completes the set basically because we will have played for different confederations over the last or the next three windows next three you know what I mean September October November um so I think that's a really important thing just for different kinds of opponents different styles it's good to be exposed to these kind of things um unless there's something else you guys would like to talk about I have one final question well the other quick thing I think is also important to note, which maybe not a lot of people really appreciate, is how important it is that this game, these games are being played in Europe because, like, the air travel that it takes for these players to get to Australia, it's sort of no shock to me that the Matildas were a little bit rusty in that first game against Canada. And, you know, from what I have heard as well, there were some players who were unavailable for that game because they sustained, like, fatigue and little niggles on the flight from Europe to Australia. So it's like these kinds of things, you have to take those, you know, moments into consideration as well, which is why I think the next couple of windows, they're trying to divide it as well as they can between overseas and and back here at home so that home fans can get around the team so that, you know, marketing, sponsorship, whatever. But at the same time, if you have to sacrifice performance for being on home soil, I think we're getting to the point where we're like, actually, we just want performances. We just want to see them do well. We want to see them be consistent. We want to see them scoring goals. We want to see them at the top of their game. And if that means having to play more games in Europe away from home fans, I'm personally okay with that because that's sort of the point that we're getting to now. So in that context as well, I'd like to see us put on a better performance against South Africa and Denmark similar to what we saw in the first half against Canada in the second game, that first half, that 45 minutes, excellent. Best football Matildas have played. I'd like to see that kind of energy. I'd like to see that um, style. I'd like to see that chemistry with the players more consistently across both of these games. And now that they're not going to have to travel 24 hours to get here, you'd like to think that their bodies are capable of doing it as well. I would just like to say Tony Gustafsson, Mr. Worldwide. See, now that's a good pod title. I think I want that to be the pod title. <laughs> and obviously a meme. We'll work on that. Um, the, the final question I had um, was basically when the Denmark game in particular was announced and it was obviously announced with a different squad being named, I very much looked at it, looked at it as this is the real barometer, this is the real test for how much growth and development we've actually had in the Tony era because we played Denmark early in his tenure. We lost 3-2. Just trying to find the date here. The 11th of June, 2021. So it was literally one of his very first games, not his absolute first, but it was right at the start of the tenure. So I was ready to be like, how far have we come? Are we actually going to see this 
progress that everyone wants and that Tony always talks about in his press conferences. Now with the changes to to the squad, can we still use this Denmark game as that comparison point with the earlier one or have the circumstances changed? So obviously the, the question changes, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I am definitely going to go back and watch that first Denmark game because I would like to see, number one, the players who we had and number two, the kinds of, I guess, footballing principles they were trying to lay down in that game. Would you like the starting 11 from that game at a minimum? Yeah, let's. So we had Mackenzie Arnold in goal, a back four of Steph Catley, Ivy Lewick, Claire Polkinghorne and Ellie Carpenter. Only one of those is going to be changed. Let's be real here for mm. this game. Um, midfield of Yollop Van Egmond Simon. That's not happening. Nope. Um, and a front three of Ford, Kerr and Razo. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. I For some reason I thought it was a different squad in my head. I think that's comparable Except for the for most the midfield. part. But, but yeah, but we, I think we've got a better midfield. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. That's a spicy take. Mm. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I feel like more confident about the midfield in this squad than that one. But that's just that's just a vibes-based reaction. Sam, provide thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> um yes. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I do I feel more confident with that with the, the midfield that we could potentially have as well. And I feel more confident in that midfield because that midfield feels more confident in itself, if that makes sense. I feel so much better now that Katrina Gori is back. We know that she's in ripping form. We know what she is being used for in a Gustafsson midfield. And we know how she can link up with the players around her. I feel more confident um, knowing that it's a midfield that seems comprised of midfielders where like the midfield in that first Denmark game, Kaya Simon's not really a midfielder. She's more of a winger. So that's, I sort of am getting like PTSD flashbacks now to watching moments where that midfield completely collapsed and Van Egmond was in there as well. And we know that she doesn't quite have the speed to match up to a transitional style of football that Denmark play. It was a whole thing. So I feel, yes, I feel more safe with the potential midfield that we could put out. And I also feel more safe knowing that Charlotte Grant is really stepping into the Ellie Carpenter role. I think coming into this game, had she not had the sort of trial by fires that what she's had over the last couple of months with Carpenter being injured, she probably wouldn't be ready to be able to face up to a, like a starting Denmark side. So yeah, I'm I'm feeling pretty good about that. I reckon if the front three are able to really gel, I think Caitlin Ford obviously is doing really well at Arsenal. Sammy needs to start scoring goals for Chelsea, but I think if they're able to connect up in the way that we started to see them against Canada um, and having Arasso coming back in as well, we've got a Courtney Vine on the bench too. Hopefully she's going to stay injury-free. Yeah, like I'm actually feeling pretty good about this. Mary Fowler as well. Mary Fowler wasn't even in the Denmark picture. So yeah, let's see how we go. I love it. I think that's us done for today then, which we love to see. Um, So these two games, Saturday the 8th of October, we play South Africa in London. It's a 10.30pm kickoff Australian Eastern Daylight Time, which is not bad. Not bad at all. Um, And then obviously the real fun one, Wednesday the 12th of October against Denmark, a 3am kickoff Australian Eastern Daylight Time. 
good luck to us all with that one. Um, obviously, we will talk about both of those games once they're done. We will have a little preview of the November window closer to that. And very excitingly, we need to start getting ready for A-League Women's as well. So if you would like to hear something from us regarding A-League Women's, let us know. Your face is right now. <laughs> Oh my God, Marissa, time, time is flying. Oh it's my God. Not my favorite thing, time, but it is happening, happening and it's coming for us all. So if you, <laughs> if you would like interviews, types of podcasts, let us know at the Far Post Pod on all social media. We'd love to hear from you. But otherwise, that's it. We're on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, and the usual pod spots. Leave a review if you like what we're doing. Subscribe so you get all of the episodes straight away. But otherwise, go Chili's and see us.